Hello and welcome to Dinosaur Man News and Reviews. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Hello. Hello to you. You didn't like that energy, did you? I don't know. Your, your face. Like, I just said it. Your face immediately. I said hello and you said hello to you. But like, I've already said it. I'm not going to return that favor. Like, your face immediately looked like you just smelled like the smelliest fart. Like, you did not like the energy I turned off. Well, it's because I'm having to look up gaming news, and I obviously have to scroll past all the fucking <laughs> dog shit. Welcome to this week's episode, though, guys. I hope you're having a great time. It's The sun's out again. Mm. Uh, that's new. Mm. I haven't had that in a few weeks. Mm. Apparently, it's getting, like, super... I had it last week. I <laughs> caught it. Oh, yeah, you did. I put it in my pocket and uh, <laughs> saved it for later. <laughs> Just a little bit of sun, please. <laughs> I'll put that in my you're, left jacket pocket. You're surprisingly good at catching the sun. like Because I'm a pale little boy. <laughs> like I've never known somebody who goes from like white to red in such an instant. Well, it doesn't help when I'm not aware that I'm sitting directly in sunlight until after the fact. <laughs> and then I realise that I've been sitting directly in sunlight without moving for like 40 minutes. <laughs> but also have been on a walk in that sunshine for two hours. The thing is, so when you're walking, like you go rosy cheeked, I'm like, oh, he's, he's just a bit red from walking, and then like a day later, those cheeks have not stopped being red, and I'm like, oh, he's he's got the sun. That was just instant burn. But like, it was it was an area that didn't have much tree coverage, <laughs> so. Always plan your walks, guys, to always include tree coverage. If you're gonna go walking, you better do it in the forbidden forest, guys. And this is your... I can't believe we've still got one more Harry Potter one to do. I did think about this earlier, thinking, like, at some point we've Don't worry, to... guys. Christmas. It'll be a Christmas treat. <laughs> Finally bury that franchise. And then it's Wait, on to is Fantastic not... Beasts. Yeah, we've done the camping bit, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. It's just the final film. Oh, man. that's Most of that is a battle. I mean, the whole... The whole, the whole... podcast series has been a battle <laughs> up until this point. Do we have the will to do it? Mm-hmm. No, is the answer. Hence why 18 months pass by between <laughs> five and six. But isn't that the excitement? Not really. I, I think the audience are like, we would like a defined day. Because if we'd have released them half yearly, mm-hmm. or even just yearly, I suppose, because there's people who only jump on for those episodes. Yeah. So they could set their diaries and be yeah, like, okay, just... so for Christmas Day every year... And we could have made it last longer. Gotta keep, gotta keep switched on. Like you never know when it's gonna come. And before you ask, guys, we're not gonna do them for Fantastic Beasts, and we're not gonna do them for <laughs> That's the what Hobbit, I and we're not gonna do them for Lord of the Rings. Once we're done with it, we're done with it. We're just this, and then the silly episodes. <laughs> um, I suppose in a world where this isn't the silly episode, no, this is this is serious stuff. Well, last week was serious. This week is silly. Oh, okay. So that's why you're wearing one on one off, one on one off, like um, kind of. It's like one for the studio and then one for one for the critics. (laughs) Both of them hate it. So last week, no, last week's was good. It was serious. Yeah, you did some good. There was a bit about the bees at the beginning that was fun. I saw this week, by the way. There was a news article I didn't put in the chat. but Jason Statham is going to be in a new film called The Beekeeper. And I was like, oh, we could talk about bees again. But I think we kind of 
We drained that well last week. Hmm. Okay, let me have a look. Beekeeper. It's basically just, all we know, it's called The Beekeeper. It's a thriller action film. It's like a Liam Neeson film, but it's Jason Statham. It's not a remake of 1986's Greek art drama, <laughs> The Beekeeper. I don't know, maybe it is. The second instalment in the trilogy of silence. <laughs> I mean, I guess his transporter films was his trilogy of silence, because he doesn't do much talk in there. He talks with his fists, which is much like in a Greek drama. They only ever mm. talked about stuff with their fists. That is true. Um, but no, I don't think it is that. Mm, let's have a look. But as we all know, I'll probably... A lightning-like thriller that is deeply ingrained in the myth of beekeeping. It ain't a myth, it's <laughs> real. <laughs> like, do you think the, the writer only found out about beekeepers through a friend? Like, they'd never heard of them before. And they're like, guys, have you heard about these beekeepers? They're guys who keep bees? It's the shortest article ever. From Illinois News Today. It just says that, basically. <laughs> And then the next thing down is, these twins were named the most beautiful in the world. Wait until you see them today. <laughs> you could be heading to Ascot as the winner of this fully furnished majestic home. I hope you're clicking on these articles. Chic seen. new East London hotel in a former factory, fully refundable, up to 47% off. This is because I've been looking at uh, holidays, obviously. Uh, and obviously you've also been Googling beautiful twins. Four sisters take the same picture for 40 years. Don't cry when you see the last one. One of them's not going to be there. No, it's just a picture of an onion being chopped. <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> You're not chopping the onion. Well, welcome to the News and Reviews, guys, where we talk... If the, they've left by now, they've left by now. We're the only podcast in the entire world that talks news mm -hmm. and reviews. This week, we're going to focus on movie news. Mainly. Um, in the main, in, in the, the main, main we in will. the main, in the main, we will. But we also going to do some reviews. What are we reviewing this week, Alex? No, I think in the main we'll focus on the news. One minute reviews. What are we reviewing though? Cruella. Uh huh. Cinderella. Uh huh. Sensor. Uh huh. Demonic. Uh huh. For nine. Uh huh. Fast nine and the Furious nine. Yeah. And Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. But but before we get to that, yes, we got an important thing we got to do. B news. Okay. They're still on the moon. <laughs> I haven't seen a bee this week. Have you? No, I think I saw a wasp, but we know that wasps are just bees in disguise. No, they're not. They're different things. We know that the wasps are trying to get to Mars. We established the law on the <laughs> podcast last week. If we start forgetting about the law of this heavily law heavy podcast, then guess what? Then I'm going to drink some quench munch. Quench Munch was an energy drink, I feel like, at one point in there. Yes, sounds like it. What was the... Because Chode Quest Chode was, was the cryptocurrency. Loot Crate like was the... Quench Munch was the energy drink. And, and Loot Crate was the subscription box that sent you loots. Uh-huh. Guys, keep up on board. It's only been like 400 episodes. Yeah, uh, and if we want to go even further back, then obviously in the very first run of the podcast, the sidecast, the true kind of birth of the podcast, if you ask me. Then there was a lot of lore in there. It was mainly crying related, <laughs> a lot of sadness. Anyway, 
much happier podcast today because the bees are still on on moon. But before on get, moon, before we get to those reviews, we have to talk news. Before we get to news, you said you've been taking that little side alley of gaming news, digging the side alley, or taking the side alley. Oh, I was, <laughs> that was a spade going. We got gaming news, wise. Uh, not much to be honest. There's a. I'll give you three headlines, okay. and you can decide which one we explore in depth. Why the industry should heed China's crackdown on video game players. Mm-hmm. Grown men shouldn't be wasting their lives playing video games. Okay. And oh, here's one. Not like we've covered this already, and Nintendo Life is just stealing it. What's the best sound in video games? <laughs> Well, I feel that the one we have to explore is why men should stop playing video games. Well, that's on the Telegraph, so it's behind a paywall. Okay, tell me what you can find out before paywall. Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly quite a lot. Oh. Oh, no, hang on. It's trying to... No, I don't want to do a free trial. No. <laughs> I don't want to give money to you. No. Why doesn't it just tell why is me... It, why is it putting my bank account details okay, in here? Okay, the only... Oh, fuck me. Come on. All right, so Camilla Tomini, 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 Scott McTominay, McTominay, but without the muck. Camilla Tomini (laughs) says. So who is it? Camilla Tomini. Tomini, Tomini. Anyway, headline is, grown men shouldn't be wasting their lives playing video games. Yeah. The underline here is, the only adults who still use the word playtime aren't the types to be found on the tube. They're busy riding around on e-scooters. What does that what, fucking what, mean? What does, this mean? what does that fucking mean, Camilla? What does that mean? Oh, I, I can't see you there, Camilla. You're so high up on your high horse. Is that the actual first Traveling one? on the tube. This is the uh, this is the article. Okay. Travelling on the tube can be a patronising business at the best of times. You're telling me. What does this even mean? With all those reminders about minding the gap and in COVID times, wearing a mask and leaving a safe space. This is an anti-vax thing. (laughs) As if that's somehow possible during rush hour. Oh, brother. Do passengers really need to be reminded to carry a bottle of water when it's hot? Uh, yeah, well, I've seen people faint on the tube before, so yeah, they so do need so. to be reminded. And that's all I get. It doesn't even get <laughs> related topics, related topics, tube, brackets, London Underground, uh-huh. and Andy Murray. So he makes an appearance in the article somewhere. But guess what? One of the related topics isn't video games. How do you think Andy Murray fits into this? Does Andy Murray play a video game? Yes, actually, I think he's big on... Um, Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. <laughs> you'd like to see Mario Tennis. Okay, well, do you want me to give you a bit of backstory on Camilla Tamini? Oh, I'd love to hear some more about her. Camilla Tamini is the associate editor of the Daily Telegraph covering politics and royals. What are you doing writing about video games? Okay, during her 20-year career... She's covered major news events, including 9-11, six general elections, and Brexit, alongside being one of the world's leading royal commentators. I've never heard of her. So if she's one of the world's leading ones, I know Jenny Bond, and that's it. Who's Who's the butler who used to work for the royals? Paul... 
Butler. Paul Butler, that's the one I remember. Lambert and Butler. He used to always appear when, like, whenever they wanted to talk about well, Wars. Like, he, oh, was, he, he was the one who said that he was the confidant of... Um, what's her name? Diana. There we go. Her exclusive story breaking the news of Prince Harry's relationship with Meghan Markle was nominated for Scoop of the Year at the 2016 British Press what Awards. What about her scoop for why men shouldn't play video games? Well, I'm just reading up on this now, and the, the comment underneath it, I mean, I can't see them, but I'm going to invent a few. <laughs> here, here, we shouldn't get the vaccine. Okay. I never carry a bottle of water on the tube, and I'm fine. Thank you very much. I've played video games once, and I'm a baby. But now I'm all grown up. I can't play them anymore. My name is Camilla Tamini, and I wrote this article. I think it's a good article. Her other articles recently, just to give you an idea of what yeah. she's covering, because this is not video games. <laughs> Boris has totally lost touch with conservatism. Wow. You couldn't run a bath. Matt Hancock's fundraising page hijacked by fake Del Boy and Pornhub accounts. And 50 years on, how the Duchess of Cornwall finally won over the nation. I got news for you. She hasn't. She's in charge now. No, won over. Yeah, she, no, as in like, she won over the hearts of the nation. She rules us all. No, it doesn't say wow. here how the Duchess of Cornwall finally ascended to power. Wow. I didn't realize she was my king now. It's exactly 50 years since Prince Charles met Camilla. But they only been married for a few of those years. So <laughs> what were they doing in the meantime? What would be happening there? Almost like these affairs going to catch up with him. Oh, no. Um, she has become the prince's rock. So She's turned to stone. Yeah, she's Medusa. Wait, no, he's <laughs> Medusa. Maybe the Queen's Medusa. Should we move on to some movie news now? We know all about what um, Kamaya Tanimi... I'm genuinely looking at here. There is nothing else about video games. <laughs> so much of it is about Gavin Williamson and Prince Andrew. As the, it should the be. The power couple we all didn't expect. <laughs> <laughs> the people's prince. Okay, fine. Let's move on. <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a black hole here. So anyway, if everyone subscribed to the Telegraph, then why don't you find out what the rest of the article was about yeah. and tweet it to us? Although I suppose what we could have done is potentially gone onto Twitter and seen if there was any sort of, you know, sort of. What is this? Extracts, okay. little blaps from it, you know. Anyway, I'm sure. but there isn't, and as far as we know, she's never written about video games before, and. Never Let's hope again. she never will again. Anyway. <clears throat> movie news. Yes. Got dry mouth. What you got for us? We got a lot of stuff to talk about. What's the stuff that we're not, not going to talk about? Should not talk that about much. On top of it. We, we, know there's, we know there's been a Spider-Man trailer. What? I haven't heard about this. But we won't be talking about it. Why do they even want us to talk about trailers anymore? People like, Look, okay, fine. People like us to say... Spider-Man Finally Comes Home had a trailer. And guess what? I'm not going to fucking watch it. Alex has decided he's not watching the film, so therefore he doesn't care about the trailer. I'll watch the film, but I don't want to watch the trailer. <laughs> I I am also not going to watch the film of Red Notice. Oh, I saw that trailer. You liked it because it's got um, your favourites in it. It could be fun. Ryan Reynolds is in it. Yeah. The other guy? The Rock. Yep. 
And wow, if if ever three names were going to make me see a film, <laughs> it wasn't those three. But it you'll could, see it. It could be fun. Um, another trailer probably happened. Maybe. Doesn't but yeah, matter. basically, we're not going to talk about the Spider-Man trailer, but I quite liked it. Alex isn't going to see it. The film. He's not going to see the film. I actually, watched the, Spider-Man. I actually watched the trailer, and I think, it, I think it's going to be a bad movie. <laughs> I think it's going to be bad. I think not enough Spider-Men are going to be in it. Wow. Do you want to know, you want to know something that happens in it? Do you want me to spoil something for you li- live on podcast? No, not really. Tom Holland is in it. I was kind of hoping they'd drop that loser. <laughs> anyway, Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 have been delayed. Mm-hmm. So, we've talked about Paramount before in that they don't really have bankable franchises outside yeah. of uh, Mission Impossible 7. So they've now tried to revive what they think is a bankable franchise in Top Gun Maverick and have had to delay it for now 18 months. Mm-hmm. In fact, now, because it's moved to May, 2020, uh, May 2022... It's now been delayed a full two years. So. It's, it smells of, we definitely need this to make money. Yeah. Uh, clearly, um, Paramount Plus is not the way forward for hmm. them at the moment. So, Infinite did not do wonders for them. But that was... Was that on Paramount Plus? Uh, I believe it was exclusive on Paramount Plus in the end, potentially. Yeah, like, um, didn't bring the numbers in to keep them going. Because we get that this month here in cinemas. Okay. But I don't think it had a... Hmm. I can't remember. Anyway. It's, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because um, you've got films like No Time to Die, mm. which has almost come out like four times now. But that has been right in its kind of release schedule before it's been delayed. Mm-hmm. And it's come to a point where it's now definitely coming out by the looks of things, but it's because they've turned around and said it costs too much for us to keep pushing this back. And actually, like the cost of the movie, mm-hmm. if we put it out and make don't make as much money as we wanted to, that's actually financially better than delaying this again. Mm. Even though, like, delaying it probably is isn't a bad thing because you're not going to get the numbers through the door. But Paramount at least haven't been in those cycles yet, have they? Uh, well, they have with Top Gun, but they haven't with Mission Impossible, which is obviously the benefit there. Yeah. Plus, it allows them to, to potentially get the other Mission Impossible done, even though that's now scheduled for 2025, I think. Um. So, yes. Yeah, so, Top Gun Maverick has moved from November to uh, Mission Impossible 7's previous date of the 27th of May. And then Mission Impossible 7 has been pushed back to... Uh, September 30th, 2022. Do you think there's a chance that this could potentially mean the top uh, for Mission Impossible 8 mm. gets brought forward? So be, so that gap between the two Mission Impossible films Maybe. becomes less. You know, they've got time to kind of, we'll continue filming this. Perhaps. Um and then a further thing to this is that Jackass Forever is now going to be pushed to February the 4th, 2022 as well. Uh, so Terrible, my film of the year gone already. That's having a six-month delay as well. Um, that means, yeah, that the rest... So the rest of 2021 now doesn't have any Paramount releases. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one scheduled is now uh, Scream 
in January next year. Is that in January? So. I didn't even realise that was coming out so soon. Because, of course, Clifford the Big Red Dog went to next year at some point. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, yeah. It's something that we knew would happen, and I'm not surprised it has. I'm surprised it actually hasn't happened to more. I think it's because they need more from these. Mm-hmm. Paramount are not necessarily oh, yeah. as stable as the other studios. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's there's a lot more riding on it because if they can't make the most of their box office, because let's be honest, uh, Mission Impossible has not been a cheap film to make. No. We're looking at a budget of, I think, upwards of $200 million on that. And then you're looking at a budget, I think, of 150 plus on um, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. If they if they gross less than 100 million, as we're seeing with some of the sort of lesser blockbusters at the moment, then it's no good for the studio. Then they, you know, they don't lose anything by delaying Mission Impossible Seven because they've never done any marketing. But this is now the fourth time that Top Gun Mavericks had marketing that's then been. Mm-hmm pushed so that film is now more expensive than they ever considered it would ever be so they need to basically make i think they're they're eyeing that as being like we need to make like 500 million dollars on this movie minimum and it is for all of these studios it is just an absolute gamble at the moment isn't it of just what films are making money and what films aren't Mm -hmm. because yeah you have got some that you know I think Fast Nine is now up there in like the almost eight hundred million worldwide or something like that. Uh, I will check. I think so. Anyway, like or at least it's the upper ends, which you know is great. Um, but that's a franchise that routinely is breaking billion fairly easily. Mm. Um, so it is that thing of like, oh yes, so there are the appetites to go see stuff out there. But is our film going to be one of those, or is it going to be one of those that really underperforms? So, like, The Suicide Squad Mm. hasn't done very well. Um, But I think in a regular marketplace, probably would have. Like, it would have had really good word of mouth. Um, And yes, it's going to be less because it's an R-rated movie. Those make less money. But I think it would have done much better than it actually did. Yeah, although the interesting, the thing that was being reported about um, the Suicide Squad is that the HBO Max numbers for it are some of the lowest they've had on HBO Max mm. for something. I think it's above Judas and the Black Messiah and something else. I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah. And basically, the the word coming out is basically that no one really watched it on HBO Max either and, pay, uh, and paid specifically to come out. Like, they didn't see a big influx of subscribers mm-hmm. for it or anything like that. And the viewership on it was minimal. So they're thinking, well, we didn't take away anything from the box office there. Yeah. It wasn't... Uh, and they've had relative success with balancing out the box office and the at-home viewership. And they have basically said we think this movie was doomed to fail by the fact that no one cares about a new Suicide Squad when they Mm. think, well, I've already seen the Suicide Squad and it was terrible five years ago. I think it's, I think it is an absolute miss. Like it's the problem is what do you call it other than the Suicide Squad to Mm -hmm. try and differentiate it without losing sight of what it is. But it's like to a casual moviegoer, 
they will not make that difference. Yeah. And it's a shame. And I think... If if the first movie was this movie, I think you've got a really interesting and fun uh, franchise there. Um, Well, maybe. I don't know. I'll never see the movie, of course. (laughs) Uh, F9 has grossed $704 million worldwide. Yeah. So it's currently the second highest grossing film of the year. Um, And it is... Uh, just shy of double what Godzilla versus Kong's box office is at the moment. So it's, you know, it's a difficult marketplace. And I think Paramount, you know, other than something like Quiet Place Part 2, I don't really think, I I can't really think of anything else of theirs that I've seen in the last 12 months. I've been like, oh, okay, this will do well. So whatever. Anyway, moving on. Other news. Um, What have we got? Uh... Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise is getting a sequel. Jungle Cruise is getting a sequel. For apparently in the press release they said there is one person who enjoyed Jungle Cruise. We we checked all of A lot of people liked it. We checked everything and apparently there's one guy who said he had a lot of fun with it and we are making a sequel just for him. Some of the critical reception was very strong to it. I know. I heard my own review. I mean proper critics. (laughs) Ow. Um, Such a dagger through this heart. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess there's potential for this <laughs> hey, going forward. I had a fun time, and that's all that's is important. It, is it going to be the next Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? Like, oh. So, Jungle Cruise was obviously on a sort of Amazonian river. Mm-hmm. The Amazon, to be precise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, presumably, this one's just going to be, they go down the Thames, and it's like, here's Greenwich. There's a pirate yeah, here to, who was born 700 years ago. They just go to another jungle. But, like, when does that run out? The jungle from jungle to jungle is the one they go to. All right, well, give me my jungle to jungle remake. Jungle free jungle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jungle free jungle. Um, Tim Allen, yeah? Yeah, unless what, jungle three jungle was never made, but, yeah, it would have been Tim Allen as well, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean Jungle to Jungle. Yeah, of course Tim Allen was Jungle to Jungle. It was the 90s. Of course it was Tim Allen. I mean, there's a bit where he's blow-darted. Yeah, of course. Multiple times. And then he goes, I'm from the concrete jungle. Anyway, so that's good news for you. And for, presumably, Dwayne Johnson's paychecks. Um, what else have we got here? Netflix have picked up the worldwide rights um, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Legendary Pictures. Um, so this is being produced uh, by Fede Alvarez of uh, Evil Dead Remake uh, or Reboot or whatever you want to call it and Don't Breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, starring Elsie Fisher, who was in eighth grade a couple of years ago. Um so now she must be in 10th grade. Okay, everyone made the joke. It was wow. very funny. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so this was a movie that's been sort of mooted for a little while and then sort of quietly got put together last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, Legendary have sold on sold on the rights to, uh, to distribute to Netflix, as they did with Enola Holmes last year. Um, so, you know, that could be fun. Who knows? Any faith in it? Uh, I mean, I saw that prequel, Leatherface, Mm -hmm. which was maybe 2017, 2018. That was really bad. To the point where, in a, in a franchise that is littered with 
career franchise lowlights. <laughs> it's remarkable to be the lowest of the low. I've only seen one Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and yeah, it and was a, it was a, a good ride. One. I mean, the thing is, f- for as bad as that film is, I like how insane it is. Like, I think much more fondly of Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation than I do of, say, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface. Mm. Three. Three? I think it was maybe subtitled as Leatherface. Or just Leatherface, which is bad. And then, obviously, the Platinum Dunes. I mean, there's one... The first one doesn't feel that bad, but then they did a prequel to the reboot. (laughs) And it kind of felt like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And, you know, Texas Chainsaw 3D is bad as well. They're all bad. Most of the films in the franchise are bad. There's basically two good films. Yeah. The first one and the second one. And the second one's like a comedy version of the first one, which is kind of interesting. (laughs) But then, like, there's just so much garbage in this franchise. It's like, I don't even know. I Like, he's they're trading off the fact that somehow... Mm-hmm. As an icon of the horror genre, Leatherface Leather has kind of prevailed. He keeps going. Yeah, I don't know. Could be good. Um, <laughs> might be. Might be. Might be good. It might be bad. Those are the two options. It could be in the middle. It could be fine. Um, what else have we got? Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah. So okay. So um, Robert Eggers of uh, The Witch, The Lighthouse, and forthcoming The Northman. Um, he's been working on an Osferatu film for about six years now and um, recently Anya Taylor-Joy was doing a interview with Los Angeles Times to promote Last Night in Soho I believe um, and she let slip that she was helping out in terms of prepping on the forthcoming Nosferatu remake that is being done by Robert Eggers which will be their third collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The Witch, um, The Northman, and then this. Uh, so, you know. I put it in as like, this is pure Hudson news, because I know that you're a big fan of uh, yeah. Robert Eggers. Yeah, I think he's great. And I know you really like The Witch. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a passion project of his. He's been working on it since The Witch, basically. Do you think he's the right director for a Nosferatu remake? Who's to, like, who's to say who is and well, isn't? I suppose. Well, I suppose the question is: is like, I'd, I'd be equally do... interested to see Michael Bay's version of Nosferatu. <laughs> um, well, the question is: is like, do you think that there's still interesting stuff you could do with Nosferatu? People will see it, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know like, you'll see it, but like. The idea of like a remake, you know, this is this is a story that's been remade a thousand times, mm-hmm. you know, and even before it, it was basically a a remake of Dracula that was just different enough to not have to pay any rights to Bram Stoker's estate. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole reason it's called Nosferatu and it's Count Orlock, not Count Dracula. Yeah, because it's like, well, it's not the same. They're both counts, but. <laughs> He could be as equally as similar as Count of Monte Cristo. And until you start suing them for defamation of character... You didn't sue Count Chocula. I have a feeling Nosferatu might have might have predated Count Chocula Choc- by a couple of... Oh, no, no. I've just seen the concept art for 1922's Nosferatu and... 
he's eating a bowl of Count Chocula. I told you. And he's, it says here, I will live on forever, much like this delicious taste. <laughs> so, interesting that, you know, those, you know, those were the marketing tools they went for in those days. So, yeah, that could be a thing. Who knows? Might be good. Hey, I forgot. Hey. We've got a segment to do. Yeah, is that all the news? I think so, yeah. I haven't got anything else. No, I, I sent you my news. Cool. What's the segment? The segment is Modoc Minute. Oh my god, I'm going into a tunnel. Alright, fine. How about Watch If? I watched those. Yeah. So, um, this is for the newly uh, joining. The newly joining. The Terrible. newly anointed. The listeners. newly anointed members of the uh, little congregation that we've got here. Andy, every week, watches two episodes. Well, every two weeks, sorry. Watches two episodes. Every news and reviews is what I meant. You knew what I meant. He <laughs> watches two episodes of What If, and we call it Watch If because it's very funny, and I thought of it myself. Definitely not Matt McGowan. Okay, he's got credit yet again. <laughs> and then Andy gives his thoughts on Watch If. What If. Marvel's so- What If. These episodes were the the third and fourth. Third and fourth, and third was um, what if the Avengers basically weren't formed? Um, what if they failed to get the Avengers together? And the fifth, the fourth one, sorry, was what if Doctor Strange? It was called what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? Um, and it's basically Iron Man. Well, it's basically it, it's the emotional heart. So he loses, he uh, loses like Christine. Um, and like how he deals with grief and how he brings gets things back together, and how does that change him and make him basically a bad guy? Okay, tell me about um, this. I think the third one is really good mm-hmm. because it buries its lead really well. So a lot of them start with, "Oh, here is your nexus point. Like this, this is what changed, mm-hmm. and this is why this universe is different." While this kind of just went, "Okay, so something has happened here," and then you realize the Avengers aren't going to get together. Um, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And it's actually just a bit of a mystery. And actually right at the end, they kind of go, well, here's here's your point. Like, this is what changed in this universe to make this series of events happen. Mm-hmm. And it's really well done. Um, and it makes a whole lot of sense. And the character decisions towards the end um, really, really pay off. And I was like, this is the best one. The Doctor Strange one is fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's it looks good. Um and it's a bit of fun, but it's it was just fun. like it didn't blow me away. Like so far, I think the third one is my favorite mm-hmm. of them all. Um, the kind of what the Avengers weren't there, mm-hmm. um, just because I think it does a really good job of actually telling a really complex, not complex story, really engaging story, mm. um, really well. And I think we spoke about this before of this being reminding me of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Of, I think you are getting different levels of quality storytelling between episodes. So there's some that I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But then you get ones where I'm like, oh, this is really good. And the hit rate isn't always there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it hits, it hits really well. It's just not that consistent. Okay. How many more episodes to go? Eight? I Four? I think there's like, is it eight in total? I think maybe? it's an eight episode run. Um, obviously, what if series two has already been confirmed? Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, you're gonna get more. Yeah, and this thing, like, and they've yeah. said they're gonna continue some of the ones that get positive reactions. Apparently, really, 
So instead of thinking up new ideas, they're just going to continue the old ones. Yeah. Lame. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what this there's, there's a few of it they're all gonna to link together at some point. Okay. Um and there's gonna be some kind of like through line that kinda of links all these together. Um and that'll be interesting to see how they do that. And they then, all have the same birthday and they're actually all um in the mind of a serial killer. <laughs> and Alfred Molina is his psychiatrist. <laughs> well, Everyone right remembers thing. identity. Okay. It's a good film. It's a good film. <laughs> it's unfairly chastised, I think, for like, being I think it was clever. <laughs> James Mangold, I think, isn't it? It's I good. think this is fine for what mm. it is, and I think it's quite nice to have these kind of little things, but it, mm. it seems quite inconsequential to the larger picture, but it's also... But is that not okay? Well, that's fine. Like the, the sort of what-if comics are... The whole idea is that this is completely separate. Yeah. It doesn't have to... This is the only stuff that I'd be remotely interested in watching, because I'm like... It feels like it could just... But then, then they're saying, oh, we'll continue the start. Mm. Oh, God, okay. Well, that's me out there. I don't want anything that will continue past, like, 30 minutes. Well, the, the what-if comics are really interesting because they are these things that are just like, oh, what if so-and-so got the Infinity Stones or mm-hmm. what if this guy was, like, the Hell of Galactus and it's like, oh, this is just us going, we are not going to commit to this full idea of completely changing the history of our characters. But, you know, let's play around and let's have fun with it. And that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it works best, when it's so, just having fun. are you looking forward to DCEU's How About? Because <laughs> that's coming out this year as well on HBO Max. How about our heroes actually resemble the heroes it's, you know? It's hosted not by the Watcher, but by the Ponderer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets played on every week by a Ponder replay. Okay. Love it. It's good, because how about if Harley Quinn wasn't Harley Quinn, Imagine. but was the Joker? Imagine Harley Quinn continued being a psychiatrist. Hey, here's a how about. How about if Joker was actually called Arthur Fleck, and he went on a talk show, and he shot Robert De Niro in the face? How about the Joker could say Murray? <laughs> how about this? If Batman was dark and gritty. No, that would never fly. Uh, he kind of glides, actually. It's falling with style. <laughs> Shall we move on to some reviews, yeah? Arguably, we should have done that <laughs> ten minutes ago. Um, all right, let's see. Let's do oldest first. For nine. Oh, okay. For nine and the for nineiest. So... F9, also known as F9 The Fast Saga, and internationally, which is importantly where we are, Mm. Fast and Furious 9. (laughs) Which is it, Universal? Make up your minds. Uh, So this is the continuation, not culmination, still still one more, of the Fast and Furious franchise that everyone knows and loves. Andy, this was directed by Justin Lin. Mm -hmm. We remember that he directed the best one in the franchise, maybe. Seven? Five, I thought. Um, I like five as well, yeah. I thought five was the best one. Was that not him? Yeah, is that the safe one? It's the one where The Rock is in it. Yeah. He, You might remember him from Jungle Cruise that you also liked. <laughs> I think that's right. Anyway, well, tell us about whatever the fuck you're going to tell us about. Is it a good movie is what I want to know. Fast Nine is... Yeah, he did do Fast Five and Fast Six. Okay, tell me about it. Come on. You're Fast, wasting so much time Fast, here. I'm giving you so many opportunities to jump in. Fast 9. Do I see this movie? 
Fast 9. So, it's a continuation from Fast 8, where um, Dom finds out he's got himself a little kid, um, and he's kind of retired onto this family life of being like, oh, we don't do anything anymore. We live on this farm, and we don't see each other. Until... Is he upset about that, or is he okay with no, he, that? No, he sounds like he's upset. That's just his voice. Okay. Um, until they get told that um, Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody's plane has gone down. Um, and on that plane was a device um, that is the Egg McMuffin of this film. Of course. Um, Every film needs a McMuffin. <laughs> so he gets called back in, and it's like, oh, you need to go and... You need to go and get this device. It's really important. And he gets dragged back in despite not wanting to. And then he finds out that um, the person who's after this device that comes in two parts is his brother, played by John Cena. He has a brother now? We didn't know this. That's more family. Like, surely a man so orientated around family would have mentioned him before. Because he disowned his brother. But he did so he did know about his brother. Yes, so they had a brother, okay. and they um, they used to work on a track together, and... Of course. Where else would they work? They both witnessed their father die, and then because Jesus. of events... Their, fam- ha- their father is family. Exactly. And because of events, they decide they're not going to be family anymore. And the only thing that and can unite them is a McMuffin. Dom Toretto, he casts his brother away, being like, I don't want you as my family anymore. But does he want to still be family? The yeah, other guy. he drives off What's into the name? distance. John Cena. John Cena Toretto. <laughs> um, Jacob? Yes, that's sad, right? With a K. So they don't see Very each other cool. for many, many years. Thank God. Um, until... I don't know what would happen if they ever met again. John Cena is seen, Jacob is seen grabbing this McMuffin. Mm-hmm. Um... And then it's like, oh, we need to stop them from getting the other part of the McMuffin. Because the, the, the McMuffin in this McMuffin. one... It's a sausage and egg McMuffin, <laughs> and he's only got the sausage. Um, do we need to clear up why we keep saying McMuffin? People will know that it means McGuffin. Okay. Uh, Plot device. The reason is, this, this device... Uh, from what I can understand, mm. this device apparently took over, takes over every electronic device in the world and allows you to basically play God. Algae rhythm? Yes. <laughs> this is Space Jam. Um, this feels like Space Jam. That's what I think it does. Okay. But it had to stop him from getting it. Um, but he gets it and then he fires a satellite into space and they've got to take out the satellite in space but also stop this device from connecting. This film is stupid. Okay, can I ask a few questions here? Okay. That's going to give our audience a clear indication of whether they want to see this movie or not. Does it have... Fast cars chasing things. Yeah, there's a lot of fast cars. Okay. Does it have a heavy reliance on uh, sort of emotional, forced emotional moments that don't necessarily work because of the film you're watching, but are put in there because family? <laughs> there is a bit where... Don't ruin the bit. Everyone's escaping. Okay. I'm going to tell you the bit. <laughs> everyone's escaping. Uh-huh. And Dom Toretto is there, like, and they all run through this door... Don't try to closes the door behind them, but he's on the other side and he locks it and he's like, You need to go and get safe. But you don't close gonna, the door on family. He's like, I'm gonna protect this family by taking on these like a hundred guards behind uh-huh. him. And then he dies at them, but when he jumps, he does like the muscle pose uh-huh. to show off his biceps, but both arms above his head, so he looks like a gorilla. 
<laughs> and then he punches walls so mm-hmm. that he, he then starts taking out guards. But then, like, like the like the roof starts collapsing because yeah. he's punching the wall so hard. Yeah, to make it collapse into like this water below. Okay. But then, like immediately, Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, uh-huh. saves him. Uh-huh. And she's like, you don't turn your back on family. And it's like... That's from the other movies. And it's like... But there was no point in that, in him doing that. Like, because... You, to show off him punching. Yeah, no one got anywhere. Because they immediately just came back for him. But, into the same room. He just tried to save them. But the guards from. went in the water. But so did he. So yeah, he, but the like guards to, went in the water. I like to imagine there's a load of guards just sat down the side out of breath. Just like... Whew. So... Did you have any other questions about this? Yeah, I've got a couple okay. of other questions. Okay. Does it have fast cars? Does it have a heist? Yes. Okay. There is one bit where um, John Cena, Jacob, steals the other half of the device because you know he gets it, so that's not really a spoiler. And then takes the world's longest zip line in the world. You like, told me about this. It's set in Edinburgh, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he zip lines for 10 minutes straight of film time. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point you see him change zip lines so you go okay so, so. but the rest of it he's just zip lining as Dom Toretto is speeding at high speeds through these streets of his car mm. you just see John Cena just across the sky mm. and I laughed so hard um, and does it have back and forth banter between Ludacris and Tyrese yeah they're in here and is it dumb fun so I spoke to your brother about this, um, and he was basically like, it's all the stupid of the Fast and the Furious, but without any of the kind of fun and the... So it's just dumb. No dumb fun. So it's dumb. And I agree to a point. Mm -hmm. I do think there are moments in this film that I go, oh, that's very Fast and the Furious, and I enjoy that. Yeah. But there are times in this film where I'm like... This is just stupid. Mm-hmm. And without any of the tongue-in-cheek stupidness that I've kind of enjoyed up to now. But, like, this is just a dumb film. Yeah. And this is what I mean when I say it's one of the stupidest films I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Because the plot doesn't really make sense. And, like, at times I was genuinely bored okay. by this film where I just wasn't paying attention. Not a good sign for a Fast and Furious no, movie. No, that, that's the thing. The thing about Fast and Furious is... Even at its dumbest, it is still engagingly dumb. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they succeed. While this one, at times, just becomes really dull. Yeah. And really bogged down in the kind of like, oh, we need to get from one set piece to the next to kind of do this next dumb thing. Um, and it kind of is at the detriment to its own film. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's something in here. There are moments in it that remind me of like the better films. Mm-hmm. But I can't wholeheartedly go, yeah, go watch this one. I think it's a That'll Do Pig. Okay. Uh, because I think there are its moments. So for fans of the franchise, this is a That'll Do Pig. Is this the jumping on point for a new oh, fan? Oh, no, not at all. Like, go watch one of the other ones. Like, mm-hmm. watch Fast Five or Fast Tokyo 7. Tokyo Drift. Well, don't watch Fast 7 as your first, because I think... Watch the first one as your first, surely. You've got to watch them all. Fast to 7 really understand works. the complexity... I'll be honest... To understand some of the plot twists and turns, you kind of have to watch every single one of these, especially <laughs> Tokyo Drift. Or listen to a podcast with somebody did where they explained them all to you. Yeah, and then we I guess we're going to do an updated version of that podcast for the second <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw movie. <laughs> Is that it? Um, okay, uh, moving on. Now, obviously, made a mistake there, mm-hmm. because earliest was technically Cruella. 
<laughs> but I didn't see that on my list until after we'd started on F9. But we'll talk about Cruella towards the end, because we've both seen that. Okay. So I'll it's talk about it. Demonic. Um, so this is a sci-fi horror film uh, written, directed, co-produced by Neil Blomkamp of District 9, Elysium, Chappie fame, um, mm-hmm. which was put together uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, props for that. Mm-hmm. Just so that people don't think that I've not praised this movie. <laughs> I gave it props. Um, so the story is, uh, this woman is contacted by a friend from her past who has been to a medical facility where, uh, he saw her mother Mm. who she's estranged from and hasn't spoken to in a long time. And clearly some event in their childhood involved those two and a third friend and that was the catalyst point for not seeing her, her mother for a long time. And he says, well, they're going to contact you. I know you've changed your name to try and distance yourself from her, but they're going to contact you. Um, and, you know, I just thought I'd give you the heads up. Uh, so our protagonist, Carly, then gets contacted by this medical research facility and they say, can you come in and your mother's here. She's not doing too well. She's in a, basically a comatose state. Uh, we really need to speak to you about what we're going to have to do with her. Mm-hmm. She goes in and they sit her down and they say, well, we're, we're pioneering here. We've got this sort of technology that allows us to uh, sort of neurologically link you into her comatose state so that you can go into her mind and there's a sort of shared space that you are both in and we need you to communicate with her there because she's basically experiencing locked-in syndrome. So we can't communicate with her, but she's aware of what we're doing around her. So it's better if you go in and find out what she's experiencing to try and make Mm -hmm. her life as comfortable as possible. So Carly agrees to go into this test into this sort of altered reality um the best way to describe it is sort of it's a sims or like a second life type situation Mm. where she's scanned in as like a sort of a video game character i suppose this is kind of video game news i guess (laughs) um and yeah so she goes in and then sort of finds her mother and finds that her mother is imagining herself at a location from her past. Mm. And she understands why, over the course of the film, we learn what exactly transpired and then why exactly it's at this moment that she's been contacted to come and speak to her mother. But clearly there is something otherworldly, something demonic, if you will, at play. Do they speak Simlish? (laughs) <laughs> yeah they is the they, film really yeah, hard they, to follow from they, that point on they speak simlish uh it's actually easier to follow in simlish than in english uh so here's the thing the film is no good at all um <laughs> okay and i think it's important to remember it was made during the pandemic so that is something to bear in mind 
the the problem with it is it feels it feels like a like a film student but i i would say not even like a film student like an a level student's first film like they've mm-hmm. been told go out there and make a film and they've made a film and it's this and you're kind of like oh well i can tell it's your first attempt at making a film because the dialogue's stilted the acting's pretty wooden mm-hmm. everything feels very sort of transparently rip offy of something else you've spent clearly you've spent a lot of your budget on this sort of second life simulation thing yeah and it doesn't look that great but it will have cost a significant amount to do it we know that much Mm -hmm. um and then you've thrown this demonic element in there and tell us about why you've done that (laughs) and then the student goes just felt like the right thing to do because none of it really like if you if you take the component parts apart and look at it and you go Mm -hmm. right why is this even happening i was really struggling to work out like i was going was it always meant to be so this was always the case because it feeds into the the story but like was it always meant to be that there's this sort of second life simulation thing it feels like it's some component parts that don't work together and probably wouldn't work individually either. Mm-hmm. And certainly the quality levels that we're working at in terms of the, the script, the dialogue, it is really shonky. <laughs> and you go in, if this is the alien film we could have had, <laughs> I am so delighted that we got that piece of shit Alien Covenant instead. Because Alien Covenant is many things, but it's not as bad as this. So, look, the the COVID-19 thing comes into it because okay. we obviously have to say, right, you have to make special exceptions for that. But In the Earth was made during COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing for less money. If if this wasn't made for le- uh, for more money, then it can't be much less than In the Earth was made for because that was a million dollars. Yeah. They are worlds apart in terms of quality. Because in the Earth, Ben Wheatley actually decided, oh, I'll write a script that works and is functional. And guess what? I'll get people in who are really good. And I'll I'll make something that's actually really engrossing rather than something that makes you think, mm. what, the, what the hell is this? And in the Earth, on the face of it, is a much more what the hell is this type of film. Yeah. And yet works so much more effectively. This is terrible. This is one of the worst films I've seen this so, year. This is an absolute would recommend, so, yeah. So this is a would not recommend. It's in... Remarkably, it is in cinemas as well as on for home release at the moment. Um, I think it's in very limited uh, cinemas mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, it is on home release for rental. It's called Demonic. If you want to watch it, go ahead. But it's a would not recommend from me. Anyway, let's talk about something else that's relatively newish. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe origin story. Stars Henry Golding as titular Snake Eyes. Uh, can I just stop you here for a second? Yeah. Snake Eyes, G.I. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, also known simply as Snake Eyes. Well, then just also call it simply Snake Eyes. <laughs> anyway, tell us about Henry Golding. Who so is he? Henry Golding plays Snake Eyes, who is... Why is he called Snake Eyes? Um... <sighs> Is that explained in the film? Yeah. Han Solo style. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Know how um, 
in Solo, he gets those dice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, I guess that's why we call you Snake Eyes Nico, Solo. This is, why, this is why you have dice on you. This, he's literally given figurative dice. Yeah. Um, so he's basically, the story starts as um, him as a child with his dad in witness protection um, and his father is murdered. Mm-hmm. And he escapes and then grows up and then gets himself um, engrossed within the um, Japanese mafia. So I think it's in the actual Yakuza. Mm. Um, but at the same time, he's also taken on the wind of this kind of ninja fraternity clan who are going to train him to be one of them. And the story revolves around him basically being in this clan undercover to try and get an Egg McMuffin. The second film. The McMuffins are back. Um, And he needs to get that for the Yakuza, who in turn will give him the person who killed his father Mm. and allow him to have that revenge. Okay. So he's there for that reason. Um, And the film basically goes on with him doing little bits of training. um, And it's... So, know how I said... Fast 9 was one of the stupidest films of the year. Mm. I think this might be the stupidest film of the year. Okay. Like... But also, didn't you say the same thing about Sweet Girl? I've seen a lot of stupid films recently. Demonic's pretty high up there on the stupidity scale. The thing with Snake Eyes is, I think it thinks it's better than it is. And that's a problem. Okay. So, I was messaging you all the way through this. Mm -hmm. Just being like, I can't believe like this mm-hmm. what this is it really reminds me of my first asian cinema mm-hmm. like somebody has seen it once and gone oh yeah i know what asian cinema is now mm-hmm. um and we're gonna do it for we're gonna do it for america this is america's asian cinema yeah um because it really tries its hardest to put in um things that are really really good about asian cinema um, and it really wants to be this samurai film, but like this neo-noir kind of samurai film. Mm. And, you know, it's one of those where you've got like um, people, like numbers of people billowing out into the streets and having sword fights in alleyways and stuff. And I said to you, um, like there's a scene right at the beginning where it's a load of Yakuza kind of barrel into this kind of warehouse mm. and it's kind of one versus 30. And it's almost a scene that looks at you and goes, hey, guys, you remember Old Boy, yeah? Don't remember how much you love Old Boy. Well, look, this is Old Boy for a new generation, but it reminds you of the Old Boy that was for a new generation mm-hmm. and how that wasn't very good. Um, and it's constantly like that. It's like, oh, remember Samurai Cinema? Isn't that cool? Mm. Yeah, but you're not doing it very well. Like, you're doing it really badly. And th- when you then add on top of that, like, a script that is incredibly terribly written mm. um, to the point that like there's a guy in here and I'm sure there are some G.I. Joe heads who will be out there telling me that like this character actually exists but um, Eco Oasis is in this film from the raid mm-hmm. um, and he plays a character called the Hardmaster and I genuinely believe he's only called the Hardmaster so that the line hey hard on master can be uttered it's and I'm funny. pretty certain that's it and the other thing is why have you got Eco Ways in that role? Because you do not use him mm. at all. Like we know he can fight, but once again, it's another action film that has fight choreography that cannot stay focused. Mm. Like it's so many cuts of oh, we'll keep cutting the camera, and you'll assume that is 
action being made. Like you'll assume that's hits being done. Um, the problem is with this film is that well, there are many problems with this film, <laughs> but the big problem is. Mm. <laughs> and I said this to you, and we had a whole conversation about this. There are moments in this film that happen that make me go, that could have been done better. So I will see a fight in the street, mm. and I'm like, oh, this location, mm-hmm. and if you had done this differently, with like, if you would changed the choreography in this location, and you'd used this a bit more kind of effectively, this could have really worked. Mm-hmm. If you had made all of these changes to the film you've actually put in front of me. And what the film actually made me do was think about a film that doesn't exist. Mm. And me being like, oh, I want to see that film. Yeah. And I said to you, is that a positive for this film? But it made me at least think of a film that doesn't exist, that I could be seeing, that I think I would enjoy. And actually, is that better for me just being like, this is straight bad, that makes me go, oh, this is bad. But imagine it was good. Mm. Like, I know that's not a, a tick in the box of snake eyes. Yeah. Because this film is just bad. It's badly performed. Like, at one point, um, Samara Weaving just turns up. Mm-hmm. Like, turns up halfway through the film. Yeah. Doing an accent that I'm pretty sure is not American. Mm. And then disappears. Like, she turns up for one scene mm. and then appears right at the end to fire a gun. Mm hmm. And that's it. <laughs> but that's the payoff to the build-up. But it's so... It's such a weak piss payoff. But, like, think about that. How surprised were you when she came back at the end to fire a gun? Because <laughs> you'd made your you'd made your peace with the fact that she was just in that movie for one scene now. No, because I... And then she turns up at the end and it's like a little... That's a little surprise. But she turns up and she's like, oh, it looks like I'm late to the party. She that's, t- that's a good line. She turns up on, like, a helicopter, which means... Mm-hmm. Somebody must have flown her in there, which means she... And she's one of the G.I. Joes. Okay. Because we know that the Joes exist in this world. Yeah, this is a follow-up from the other films. But she's one of them. But it's a prequel. Well, this is apparently a follow-up. It exists within the same continuity as the previous two films. Okay. G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe Retaliation. Well, the thing is... This was a spin-off from that franchise. The film clearly goes, the Joes exist. Mm. This task force of anti-terrorism fighters. Mm-hmm. So they exist, and we know Samara Weaving is one of them. Yes. So why is she the only one who turns up? Is it because you haven't cast the rest of them, and you don't want to, you know, blow your load in a Snake Eyes film? It's like Marvel; they can't all be available. That's why you sometimes Doctor Strange helps out, sometimes Hulk. Well, yeah. Um, so terribly written, terribly acted. Like Samara Weaving isn't the only one who sounds like this is the first time they've ever spoken. But like she's done American accents before. She's American, isn't she? She's Australian, but... Oh. Yeah. That might explain why her American accent is so bad. But she's done good American accents in Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. The Babysitter, probably. I can't remember much about it. Um, cinematography is bad. Oh. Um, sets are bad. Oh. Um, sets are bad? Yeah, like, so some like, of it, some of it looks... You can see it falling down at the edges. Well, some of it literally looks like, um, oh, this is something that's just been held together by, like, chicken wire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, CGI is bad there's three giant anacondas um, Mm -hmm. and they look real bad I don't like this film movie was made for 110 million dollars I don't know where that went (laughs) I genuinely don't and it's another case of Mm. and I really I keep saying this all the time I'm gonna go watch Crazy Rich Asians at some point 
because it's another case of me being like, I really don't get Henry Golding as an actor. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't get what he delivers. Um, he's fine in The Gentleman, mm-hmm. and that's about it that I've seen. But I've gone, okay, I like that. Yeah, and I don't get him as a leading man. So what's interesting is that obviously this is a Paramount property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are they in more trouble? <laughs> Because it grossed thirty-seven million dollars. I don't worldwide. think this will do well. Um, and it I didn't. Don't, I don't think it's going to gain an audience. Um, okay. Well, I, there's other stuff I've missed, and I can't remember. I did mm. put a thread out on Twitter of being like, "These are the reasons I hate this film." Okay. Um, it's a. It's would not recommend. Well, look for that then, guys. Uh, right, Censor, which is uh, a new British horror film uh, debut feature by Prano Bailey Bond. Um, Co-written by Bailey Bond and Anthony Fletcher. Uh, so Neve Algar stars as uh, Enid, who is a censor in the BBFC during the height of uh, the video nasties period mm. of the 80s. Um, so she spends all day, every day, watching films and rating them, classifying them, and censoring them if deemed necessary. So we get a bit of that early doors in terms of sort of the mundanity of her watching this sort of ultra-violent, ultra-sort of um, misogynist filmmaking that was sort of leading the charge in in some of the stuff they were watching. Um, And then she... Clearly, there is something in her past that then basically emerges because she sees she's she's made to watch a film and censor a film that is eerily reminiscent of events from her childhood mm-hmm. and from there she starts delving down the rabbit hole of well why is this and who's you know who's made this film because this is too close to the reality of what happened to me to be coincident so Clearly, something is afoot here because this this is my life on screen, and we never knew what had happened. So, anyway, she goes down that rabbit hole, and thus the rest of the film happens. Yeah. Can't really speak too much about it without sort of ruining some of the stuff. So, a uh, few things to mention here, which is number one. Um, I saw this at a Q&A screening with Prano Bailey Bond, who sort of comes across as someone who is completely immersed in the world of video nasties and horror um, history, basically. And this comes from a place of immense love for the genre. And you can really tell because everything from the cinematography to the soundtrack um, to the the sort of production design of the late eighties is just impeccable. Mm. All of it really, really works. Um, it's a film that really knows what I feel like it really knows what it's trying to do. And it really achieves. I, I think it achieves it with a, with a degree of real sort of assuredness as well, which is really nice to see. Um, I would say that, Neve Algar is really good in that central role. She's mm. the driving force of the film, really. Um, and she really... Well, she really kind of draws you into this character as 
sort of loss of any sort of sense of reality it's kind of interesting in that sort of it it has that sort of lovecraftian element of the more she finds the more she starts unraveling and yeah. you know the more she starts questioning everything um i think it's a really great debut because i think it it really sets prano bailey bond out as someone who fundamentally understands the language of horror cinema fundi- fundamentally understands what you can do with the idea of fear more than necessarily, you know, and this is a film that is not afraid to show gore. I was going to say, is it a video nasty in it in and of itself? I think it is in that sort of tongue in cheek way of knowing what it is and knowing what it's pastiching. Um, there is some really, really good uh, practical gore, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's also some really remarkable sort of with the films within the films mm-hmm. are so utterly believable as films from that era that you kind of feel like they must have had an incredible amount of fun trying to put those together yeah. and go right this feels like something from you know you get stuff that sort of really sort of Wes Craven-y or you get some stuff that's a bit more folky and a bit more sort of art horror of the time, but it all fits into what genre fans will know as part of that landscape of the um, the horror industry at the time. I think it's really good. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I don't know what else I can say <laughs> about it because I, I don't want to spoil anything about the actual yeah, film. Yeah. So if you're interested in seeing it, you either have already or it's on your to-do list. I'd really recommend it. I'd say go and see it in a, in a cinema if you can. It is in cinemas currently. It's got a relatively wide release in terms of that, I think just due to the fact that there's not a huge amount of diversity out there at the moment. Um, and I would really recommend you go and see it. It's called Sensor. It is in cinemas now and will be on streaming, I believe, by the end of the year. I think it's yeah. got a deal. That sounds um, great. So that's that. I imagine it's not going to be something I watch, but it sounds great. It's yeah. one of those of like, that sounds great for people who aren't me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll like it. The, the gore is probably the only element. Uh, right, so moving on. Cinderella is brand new. Yes. We'll talk about that. Uh, so this is, you know, new jukebox musical, semi-jukebox musical, I suppose. Some original, mm-hmm. some uh, some already existing songs. Uh, based on the Cinderella fairy toy, fairy toy, fairy, fairy toil. T- t- it is a toil sometimes. Uh, fairy tech and um, starring Camilla Cabello as Ella. Mm-hmm. Just Ella. Her name isn't Cinderella, guys. In case you hadn't noticed, she's just Ella. Um, directed by Kay Cannon, who's previously done the Pitch Perfect movie, but I think the first two definitely yeah oh elizabeth banks did the third but i think she was the producer still anyway someone who's clearly got experience with musicals mm-hmm. tight well yeah kind tangential of, yeah, yeah. whatever um uh also starring it's a who's who it's a who's who <laughs> of everyone mini driver pierce brosnan mm-hmm. james corden oh yeah he is billy porter yep um nicholas galetzine is he the prince Adina Menzel. Yes, Adina Menzel. She's actually a singer. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this was a Sony film that then got 
shifted to Amazon. They sold it to Amazon during the pandemic. Uh, so it's on Amazon Prime internationally now, I believe, yeah. apart from in China where Sony is still holding out for that cinema release. <laughs> uh, so the story is the Cinderella story. Yeah. But this you know, time... D- d- I mean, do we need to explain the Cinderella story? Lady... Uh, it's a movie starring Hilary Duff from uh, 2005. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, she's she's caught the eye of the prince, but this isn't your regular Ella. No. She's got a little bit more to her. She's got a bit of spunk to her. So she, there is this sort of feel of the movie where it's sort of... Uh, I've seen people describe it as girl boss Cinderella. Yeah. I don't really understand what girl boss means other than like a motivated woman, I think is like someone who owns their own shit and is just, you know, motivated to make a career for themselves. So she wants to be a dressmaker. She wants to be a dressmaker. She's a very talented dress designer and dressmaker, but no one gives her a chance because she's not allowed to own a business because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's not, it's not right. right. And it isn't right. And the only way to sell her dresses is seemingly to meet, um, more progressive thinking people mm-hmm. who will just so happen to be at the ball that the prince is holding. Oh. So maybe if she gets to the ball, she can meet investors and people who are wanting to buy her dresses off mm-hmm. of her. And from thence, the humor is supposed to arise. <laughs> so, first things first, star studded cast. Yeah. It's, it's a who's who of British comedy. Look. Pierce Brosnan is here, and that's all we need to know. Although... Pierce Brosnan holding down this film. Don't put Pierce Brosnan in your musical if you're not going to have him sing. Look, we remember how good he was in Mamma Mia. Like, don't have him, like... So don't, like, don't give his only song to him being like, oh, isn't it so bad? No, 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 no. He's a brilliant singer. We know that from SOS. Ideally, make him sing SOS again. (laughs) Because realistically, that's all I was looking for here. But I'm going to spoil it for you all now. He doesn't get to sing SOS in this movie. It's immeasurably disappointing that he doesn't get a song. Like, he has a line in a song near the end. Yeah, and he but, has a sort of throwaway moment where it's sort of a jokey, mm-hmm. bad version of him singing. But they they tease you because they cut across to the palace quite a lot. And Sometimes this film makes cuts to places for literally no reason. I still don't understand what that scene was to symbolise. I guess the time has passed. Because it then happened again later, mm. but it made more sense there because it was supposed to show the passage of time, whereas that time, it just felt like it was trying to... It's trying to pad out a runtime that's already long enough. <laughs> Arguably too long. Yeah. It. This is the interesting thing is, I said early on in the film, it feels like it's skipping along at a merry old pace. Mm-hmm. And then it immediately slowed to a crawl through molasses <laughs> where everything just ended up taking forever. And I was like, where is this story even going at this point? Because I know the bits we have to hit and we're nowhere near hitting them as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. And the first half an hour, I felt like, oh, this is fine. This is, I feel like we're about we're halfway done. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, and then it's just like, oh my God, there's thing after thing after thing. And that's not to do down the fact that, look, the thing that this film tries to get right, and mm-hmm. we should be applauding the fact that it is a very progressive casting. Like, yeah. there is colorblind casting. There is, you know, there is a lot of sort of just very progressive 
you know, good casting in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, Billy Porter is really good as He's the fairy godmother. His best. They don't really give him all that much to no. do. And the problem is, all these sort of good intentions that you go in with as a filmmaker need to be backed up with a film that actually works. The problem with the Billy Porter stuff yes. is that, yes, he's doing well with what he's got, but it isn't much. But also, he's in it for... So, runtime is like two hours. He's in it for like five minutes at most. Mm. And you really don't get to have that kind of energy that he brings for too long. Well, that's what I mean. He's given nothing to do in that he's in the scene, he's in the film for five minutes. Mm. And even that five minutes, like, he doesn't do much. And it's almost like, oh, we just skip past this bit because it's almost as though the film isn't interested in that moment. Like, it's like, oh, we need a god, um, Mm. a very, it's not very godmother in this, is it? Fabulous godmother, I think. Yeah, it's a different term, isn't it? Um... Yeah, I think Fabulous Godmother might be the one. Um, but he's in it for like five minutes. And Fabulous like, oh, Godmother. We know that he needs to be here to do to do this. And, you know, he change, gives her a dress. He gets the carriage. He changes the mice into into people. And then we're out of there. Like, not even going to hold back. We're just out of there. Mm. And then you don't see him again. Um, mm. Like, if he has a line. You get the, the narration at the end that you've got at the start as well. And, and it's like, but you've got somebody who is very lively like mm. and it is brings a different energy to the film and we hardly use it <laughs> yeah i mean look i think this will hit for certain people i think obviously all the cabello heads out there will go crazy for this version well you said you, your biggest problem with this film like and this was like so there was probably like half hour in and you turned to be read my biggest problem with this film is that I'm having to listen to Camille Cabello and I don't think she's a very strong singer. Yeah, like I feel, I mean, it's not going to solve all the problems if you put a really strong singer in there. It will make some of the songs more bearable. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I don't think the film suffers because of her performance necessarily. No. I feel like just the whole film never comes together in the way that I think it wanted to. Weirdly, despite all all the protestations, James Corden isn't the worst thing about this film. Oh, no. No, I don't think... But then again, he's not the best thing about this film either. So let's not... <laughs> well, you're you in know, a film Piers Brosnan, you're not going to... Remember, this is his passion project. He was the one who picked it up. He's a producer on is it. it and really? He was the one who really pushed to make it, yeah. Because um, he knew that he could do like the crosswork karaoke thing that he does on his um, <laughs> show. Uh, look... It's got a lot of songs that you'll recognise, and that's if, fun, yeah. If you like some songs that you recognise and some new ones that genuinely one of there them is, is an earworm. There's one song that is literally I don't think it's in my good, head but now. it is an earworm. Um, then, you know, that's fine. But I don't see what this is, you know. If you, if you look at this and go, can you justify your existence? I don't really feel like it can. The problem is none of it is executed well enough to be good. Like, it so has a lot of things happening in it, and none of it really is done very well. So here's the thing. I didn't care for In the Heights, particularly. Mm-hmm. It's fine, but it's not... I know it's not for me. I know it's much higher on your list than it is on mine, yeah. for example, but it was always going to be. However, as someone who's not a fan of musicals, I can still appreciate the stuff that that was doing better than this. Because, like, mm-hmm. you know, having that as an example earlier in the year of a musical that felt like... A lot of the musical elements, it was getting right. Yeah. Story-wise and sort of pacing-wise, I think it was way off. But this film 
doesn't really feel like it gets the musical moments right. Well, I think the big thing, if you're comparing those two films, is Washington Heights seems like a living, breathing environment in which this music But this seems like uh, 15 different environments that are not connected (laughs) at all. Yeah, it seems fake. So when you go, oh, we're having a ball and everybody is invited... But like it's this entire kingdom, but then there's like twenty people in a ballroom. Mm. It doesn't seem real, mm. and that's what I mean. Like it all seems a bit fake. So even the ball scenes don't seem to have any kind of grandeur to it. Yeah. Um, the musical elements sometimes are just kind of shoehorned in elements to get this one song in there. Mm. Um, and yeah, the the one positive this film has. Like the one thing, and the reason why this isn't lower on my list of films for this year, is if you look at the reviews on IMDb, it has upset the right people. To it should be upsetting mm. the people who are like, "Oh, I don't like Wokeness in my Cinderella." Yeah, how dare how dare you have a woman who actually wants a job? You know, uh, people being like, "Oh, I don't like politics being shoved down." Like it ain't politics; it's literally just a character. Like mm. there was one that's like, "I don't like, I don't like it." Uh, like, men can wear dresses, but I don't want to see them in my film, I think, was, like, the um, review. And I'm like, if it's making people that angry that they're giving it one they're out of good. ten, then fucking, yeah. like, film of the year. I mean, no. <laughs> Give it the Oscar. <laughs> it's not going to be your film of the year, I can guarantee that. Um, I mean, I'm glad I've already watched it, if it is, so I don't have to re-watch it before the end of but, the year. But, you know, it's, it's higher on my list because of that. Sure. Um, that's not really played into my thinking. It's only high on my list because Pierce Brosnan's in it, and obviously <laughs> he's... I think he's really good in the role because he's someone who... I think his late career performances are basically him going, I know what I am. I know what I came from. <laughs> I'm fun now. In the same way that... Um, what were you in Eurovision? <laughs> shit, yeah. Yeah, actually, to be fair... In that film, I feel like he was laughing at himself more than he was laughing... At, well, no one was laughing at the film, obviously. Um, it would not recommend. Yeah, absolutely would not recommend. Should we talk about Cruella? <laughs> yeah, let's move on to Cruella. So, uh, Cruella, this is the sort of uh, live-action prequel to the uh, villain from 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Um, starring... Um, Emma... T- uh, sorry, <laughs> Emma... Well, Emma, Emma Thompson, Thompson is in yes. it, uh, but starring Emma Stone as young Cruella, but then also, um, yes, Emma Thompson as her employer, mm-hmm. the Baroness. The Baroness. Um, set in sort of 1960s, 70s London, um, in the height of a sort of fashion craze, mm-hmm. um, and sort of tells the... Yeah, it tells a a sort of origin story for how Cruella was born out of a child called Estella. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this came out earlier in the year. We've only got around to it now. It's just been made free on Disney+. Plus. So That's why. Get off our backs, guys. We weren't sure if we should commit £20 no. to see it. And to be fair, like, we said we didn't know who this film was for. Like, yeah, when, when, we first like- saw, when we saw that trailer, I remember we watched it and we just went... What is this film angling at here? Like, what angle is it going for? Because actually, I think the trailer does a really bad job of representing the final yeah. product of a film. Because the final product of a film is much more fun than the trailer. Because mm-hmm. the trailer made it look like it was going for this very dark and somber movie. 
But this movie is... I really liked this movie a lot uh-huh. more than I thought I would. I found um, I found it slow to start, mm. but it definitely warmed up. Like cause When she a, gets to London... There's a whole bit at the beginning, which is her as a child, and kind of what her childhood was like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as soon as it gets to, like, oh, ten years later, and you've now got Emma Stone, um, you've got... Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser. Exactly, the people I was looking at. Like, I think those three are a whole lot of fun. And yeah. I think, actually, as the film goes on and further in, it actually just gets more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I really like that. I think, you know, production design-wise as well, this looks mm. great. Yeah. Like, it's it's a film that's based so much in fashion, and they get the fashion right as somebody, you know, I'm a layman, I don't understand yeah. fashion. Uh, costume design was done by um, I'll get her name up, but it was the one who did it for um, Mad Max Fury Road as well. Yeah, uh, give me a second, and we'll but like because the costumes are fantastic, like yeah, really, really well done. Um, and I, like I said, I will backtrack on my words. I went, I don't know who this film is for. I don't know who will enjoy this and who will watch it. And actually, I. I'm the person who enjoys mm-hmm. this. I'm the person who finds this a lot of fun. I think at times it um at times it's a little bit baggy in terms of mm-hmm. like um I do think it isn't always, you know, hitting that mark all the time. But when it hits, it hits well. Yeah. Um I didn't realise apparently that um there's two people in here that were like the couple from 101 Dalmatians. Mm. Um, I didn't realise that. Well, spoiler alert for everyone who's going to go and see this movie and expect it not to be related to it. <laughs> um, Jenny Bevan was the costume designer, but she she's done an incredible job here. Yeah. The wig work is also incredible. The production mm-hmm. design's really good. It's got the best soundtrack in a film for years. Yeah. It is um, a little bit jukeboxy of like, oh, each different scene has a different song. But I think it I think it suits the film because it is this sort of punk mm-hmm. rock version of this character that I think is a really smart way to adapt it. Yeah, it's probably about 15, 20 minutes too long. Yeah. You can there's definitely bits in it where you're meandering towards a bit where you're like, I think we can take a more direct route and you wouldn't necessarily lose anything from the story. But that's me nitpicking and saying something, you know, well, I've got to find something negative to say about it. Because I actually really loved this movie. Can I say one thing that I absolutely loved? Mm. Um, and it's something that's so simple and silly, but I loved it. Emma Stone's ability to carry herself with these kind of hunched shoulders mm-hmm. and the way she drives is almost exactly the way that Cruella drives in the mm-hmm. animated 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. Where these kind of like really high hunched shoulders, mm-hmm. like arms outstretched. And I just thought it's a really, really good characterization of a character that we are pretty much all aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought had been done incredibly like spot on in is it Glenn Close in yeah. the live action one like is a really great version of that character and actually Emma Stone has done a really good job of being like well let's take part of that and part of this and mm. part of my own kind of charm and mix it into this part of somebody like who you know we're supposed to be warming to a character who we know eventually goes down the route of I'm I want to skin and wear a load of dogs mm. and we are supposed to enjoy this person's journey yeah 
and so here's the thing is that this and uh jungle cruise within the space of a couple of weeks were both confirmed as getting sequels Mm. this is absolutely the film i would want to see a sequel to (laughs) is any more of the same of this because i really enjoyed everything about it and Mm. i you know i thought at first i was kind of going do, uh, you know do i want to see what this is do i yeah. you know when we saw that trailer i was kind of just like i'm sure someone will enjoy it and it just turns out that it's a lot of fun it's a really good i mean i think uh it's craig gillespie who's directed it who did i Tonya previously mm-hmm. who i think he's a really good director and kind of you can see a lot of the DNA of something like I, Tonya in here as well, in that it tries to have this sort of rebellious attitude towards, and trying to tell like an outsider story mm-hmm. in a sort of non-conventional way. Because I, I feel like this is not what most people would have expected to see in a Cruella de Vil origin story, yeah. the way it plays out. But that sort of fashion empire thing, the sort of fashion battle that really works and is really spectacular. And I think, you know, the supporting characters... I mean, Emma Thompson is, of course, mm-hmm. great as always. Thompson. But, you know, you've got Paul Walter Hauser doing his best Mockney accent, and that's yeah. great. Joel Fry's really good. Um, Mark Strong, surprise Mark Strong. Didn't know he was in the <laughs> film until he turned up, and then he's in the film a lot. And I'm like, oh, this is good. I like this. It's great to see Mark Strong. And Emma Stone does a good accent. Mm-hmm. That's... You know, important that's half the battle sometimes and yeah i really enjoyed it uh so it's available for free on disney mm-hmm. plus now so i would recommend you watch it if you haven't already i know some people who've seen it uh on premiere access and now are just re-watching it and re-watching it because it's become one of their rotation yeah. options it's, i really like this film it's a definitely a much more fun film than i thought it would be and was a pleasant surprise. I went into this like, when we watched it, and I was feeling really kind of tired. And I was like, and when it first started, and it started. I do think it starts slow. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, I was like, oh, am I, am I gonna like this? And by the end, I was like, fully engaged. Like, yes, this is actually mm. exactly what I needed right now. Um, it's the kind of film that I needed to kind of really pick me up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hundred percent would recommend. Like, would recommend. It's, if you've got Disney Plus, watch it. Like, it's there. Yeah. I, I think this has got a very good shot as being my most surprising of the year. My biggest surprise. I suppose so, because like... My expectations, my expectations were so it. low in mm. terms of what it was going to be. And yet, I they were, they were blown out of the water. Yeah. I'm really impressed by it. Um, it's nice to be positive about a couple of films this week, because there's been a bit of garbage. Yeah, unfortunately, I watched a couple of big ones. <laughs> you watched a couple of the stinkers. Um, anyway, so that's it for this week. You can find us on Twitter at DinosaurMan15. That's the best place to contact us if you want to speak it's to us o- about anything. Really, it's the only place Yeah, it's, like, it's the only place we'll speak back to you. Um, um, we stream on Twitch on Wednesdays at 8. Yes, this week. Obviously, you won't be there. but Oh, yeah, I'm away this week. So maybe I'll, I'll call into the... Um, oh. Can you do... <laughs> I don't know. Audio joining? Hmm, we'll see. That's an off-mic conversation. <laughs> uh, Johnny needs to the theme song this time. It was whatever. Oh, Dinosaur Man Pod, Pod for Twitch, yeah. On Twitch? Yeah, Johnny needs to the theme song this time. Oh, Punk Rocky, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Andy, you've been the host. Alex, you've also been the host. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, tell your friends. And until next time... Uh, we'll see, you know what? See you later, alligator. See you later, anaconda. Animated anaconda from Snake Eyes. And I suppose the true lesson is you never know which one of your friends is going to skin a hundred dogs.
is John Cena. <laughs> Bye. Die. Die.